Join us now. It's been a little while. And actually, I want to start with uh, last time he was on with us, he was working for a different company, but still covering all things NBA, covering all things Toronto Raptors. Did a neat little mini doc about basketball in Cleveland as Fandiar Barahini is on the line with us. As Fandiar, thank you so much for joining the show. Oz, how you doing, man? It's been a, it's been a while. It's been a while. So, just real quick, just for the audience, um, if you could sort of just uh, tell people where they find your work, They're just because uh, you, you've worked for a couple different places, you've changed jobs since the last time I chatted with you. It is true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, no, you can find me on uh, SDPN, the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. They have, you know, their website. They have their YouTube channel. They obviously have their uh, social platforms as well. So it'll be SDPN Sports that you can find me on as well as, you know, my own social channels as well. I gave the real, and, and again, congrats on, on everything that you're doing. Um, sure. I, I, Thank you. Yeah, I, I gave the, my hot take was incredibly boring that I think for now the idea of the Raptors tanking is ridiculous and is an insult to the Houstons and the Detroit Pistons of the world. And for me, it feels like that the team should do absolutely nothing in terms of any major move and just see what you can do over the next month internally. That the idea of swinging for the fences right now feels way too soon. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Uh, I think the whole tanking agenda is, is probably, you know, just to kind of lay out the framework. And this happens with a lot of NBA teams. When expectations don't meet reality for a fan base, all hell breaks loose, right? Everybody assumes, oh, we got to do the worst, let's blow it up. And that, that doesn't just apply to the Raptors. That applies to any sport, any team. When, when, a te- when a fan base's expectations are so high heading into a season and a team fails to meet those expectations, you know, they start to look around and question themselves a little bit. Uh, I think the Raptors have been put in a pretty tough predicament right now, especially with injuries and guys missing out time. And also on top of that, going through these shooting slumps, that just a lot of things kind of compounded together for them to have this 13 and 18 record. Now, to to the point of the whole tanking thing, if you will, they have a really really hard schedule ahead, and I think people are are projecting forward and assuming that these struggles will continue and you know continue forward into December and January, and maybe at that point, if they're still struggling struggling like this, then you have to consider, okay, how do they move? And, and maybe take advantage of, of this season and this NBA draft. Yes, and of course, the, listen, we're not even going to mention Victor Wembanyama. Again, that is an insult to the San Antonio Spurs, that right. uh, you're the only one that can name more than three members of that team, not including Jakob Pertl. <laughs> I, I guess the bigger question I have is, like, you're not going to make any move, I think, that's going to really dramatically improve this offense, because this offense since Kawhi left, has never been in the top 10 in offensive efficiency, that only the Rockets, Spurs, and Hornets have, have a worst half-court offense. And this is not expecting the Raptors to be top five, but to me, this is the number one question about this team. We asked it before the season. We asked it at the start of the year. And part of this on the players, part of this might be on Nurse and isolation and isolation offense, and part of it's on Masai Ujiri is how do you get this offense to be above average in terms of efficiency? How do you get this offense to score if they're not forcing 18 turnovers a game? Right. It, look, to be honest, it is a fair question. It is something that I've kind of racked my brain about a lot as well because the way the Raptors like to play, this style, as you, as you said and alluded to with how Nick Nurse likes to play and how Masai Ujiri has designed this team, 
uh, you kind of look at it and say, okay, so this team is designed not to be that great at half-court offense. Okay, so what does that mean? Not being great at half-court offense means you can't really create as many advantages. You can't create as many open looks. The only guy on the team who really does a great job at that is their all-star, all-NBA player in Pascal Siakam. Uh, but outside of that, they rely on a heavy dose of you know isolation, like you mentioned, uh, winning the possession battle on the offensive glass, and like you said, forcing turnovers and getting out in transition. That is a recipe that can work for a team and has successfully worked for teams even outside of the Raptors. The Milwaukee Bucks do that to a very, very high degree. But I think the issue there is the fact that the Raptors – don't have the depth necessary to do that for an 82-game season. Uh, it's just that that type of style requires an energy level and a health level that the Raptors haven't had this season, and they most likely won't continue to have throughout the season just because of the fact that they've, they're already behind, if you will, on, on that sort of, like, it, it, they're just exhausted. Like, to put it simply, it's a yeah. tiring and, and tiresome process to play like this. And in terms of solutions... We can point to the shooting. They are one of the worst shooting teams in the league. They do not shoot the ball well. They've actually gone through a pretty bad slump with their shooters in Fred VanVleet, in OG Ananobi, in Gary Trent Jr. So in terms of short-term solutions, you hope that those guys essentially just shoot better. That is the only real half-court solution to this half-court offense. Long-term solutions, you're probably looking at making some kind of marginal move here and there to improve your your half-court offense, whether that means getting another ball handler or playmaker or getting, you know, more shooting. Yeah, it, it, it's... <laughs> you know what, let's move over real quick because I want to talk general NBA with you for a second. Sure. But, um, and, and by the way, um, your answer can be, I don't know, um, with Scotty Barnes. <laughs> yeah, literally, I'm fine with I don't know because, you know, some things that you just don't know. And and we as, uh, me, not you, me as a gas bag, you always got to try to come up with 38 seconds of entertainment when you can just say, hey, I don't know. But with <laughs> Scotty Barnes, is it simply a case of uh, Eric Kareen from The Athletic pointed this out, um, Jason Tatum, his numbers took a step back in the second year. Jalen Brown, numbers yeah. took a step back in the third year. Scotty Barnes, the assists are great. Everything else is down. Down offensively um, and, and defensively, maybe that's injury. But just your, your your thoughts on, at least from a statistical point of view, the step back of Scotty Barnes. I think that step back is something that a lot of second-year players uh, see. And, and to your point about the Eric Crane article with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, uh, another guy that kind of pops, pops up to mind for me is Tyler Hero. Uh, in his first season, he was an, a sensational rookie, this boost for the Miami Heat. He was this shooter, marksman-like. He went into the NBA bubble and was a huge part of their finals run. And then in the second year, he really struggled. His efficiency dipped. He wasn't getting as many open shots. He wasn't creating as often. He was sort of figuring things out. And a lot of that is because teams, all 29 other teams, now have film and footage where they can game plan for you. And not only do they have that footage where they can game plan for you, but they have the respect for you in order to to kind of game plan every single night. Now, you know, Scotty Barnes isn't just a cliff note at the bottom, uh, bottom of the scouting report. He is on page two, right behind the Pascal Siakam or Fred VanVleet. So it's, it's tough when you're vaulted into that category of things as a player so quickly. And on top of that, you're trying to figure out and grow yourself and figure out what you're good at. So the combination of those two things is what I think is kind of affecting Scotty's game a little bit. But in terms of the long run, 
I think he will be fine. I think, you know, the potential is still there for him to be a very, very good basketball player. Uh, but it's it's going to be a work in progress. And I think that's, that's what will make it more interesting for the Raptors because they are trying to toggle this two-seat, two-timeline thing, if you will, yes. with the Scotty Barnes and then on the other side with the Pascal Siakams and Fred VanVleet of the world. Yeah, yeah, you got one that are closer to 30 and others that uh, can't legally rent a car in the United States, and you're, <laughs> you're trying to find a way to make it work. We're joined by Esfandiar Berahini, and uh, you were tweeting about it. I was watching it. Um, Nikolai Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. 13, 13, and 13, and I'm convinced he might have had a chance for a rebound late and just said, no, you go get it, Aaron Gordon. But I wanted to throw a stat at you. And this show, we do a lot of sports betting, but what I like to do is take a stat and turn it into a story. The Denver Nuggets have the fifth lowest odds to win the West. They have the number one record in the West. The Suns, the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Grizzlies all have better odds. And my first thought when I see this is this is the power of Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers are the second highest favored team to win the West, and they've been outscored on the season. And that just screams to me everyone is still afraid of Kawhi, and everyone is not afraid of Jokic come playoff time. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on. I mean, when you have the talent of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they will always be a threat. I think the question with them is just can you stay healthy? And to the offensive struggles, which yes, it has been if you've tried to stick through a Los Angeles Clippers game, it is like watching paint dry in terms of seeing that offense. Um, and it's, it's really, really tough to watch at times. But I think once they're fully healthy, they will be in that conversation. And far, as far as Denver, I really do think this is the best year or, or the most likely year for them to get out of the West. I mean, when you look at the parity between the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Suns, the Clippers, even the Warriors, if you want to mention them, uh, and the Nuggets themselves, this is easily the best chance they have to kind of make some noise in the playoffs and get to the finals. Um, they have, obviously, all their players healthy so far. Jamal Murray is coming back from injury, but he's he's slowly starting to get, you know, a little bit healthier. Michael Porter Jr. is always the question around this team. And then they've added some some kind of role players, the rotational players, and a Bruce Brown and a Kentavious Caldwell-Pope and, and Aaron Gordon is thriving. So when you have those type of guys around Nikola Jokic, it is going to look great offensively. The defense is a big question. They rank, I believe, in the bottom 10 still yeah. in defensive efficiency. But at the same time, I still I think I am a little bit bullish on this Nuggets team because Jokic is a talent that you do not want to face in a seven-game series. And when there's so much parity in the league, I feel like I've talked to you about this a lot, there's so much parity in the league right now. It, it makes it so that you know if you have a good matchup in the playoffs, Jokic can kind of take advantage of that and, hey, maybe make some noise, right? And that's kind of where I want to end, the word parity, because you're right, we have discussed this before. Uh, my biggest complaint about the NBA for many, many years was come playoff time, it was predictable. The fact that the offseason was often more thrilling than the postseason because we knew who was going to be in the finals with a pretty easy degree of, of figuring out which of the teams were. But I look in the West, Denver, Memphis, Suns, Clippers, can you see, easily see those four teams. By the way, the Pelicans might just be that one-year too early team, but they're too dumb to know it. The Warriors are in 11th. Luka's in 10th. And then in the East, uh, you know, Boston's come back down to earth a little bit. Milwaukee's probably the best team. The, the Nets could either be great or horrible. And, and Philly with Embiid and Harden, that's a... 
when healthy, it's a it's maybe the best one two punch. You can argue it's in the top two or three. I don't ever remember this level of parody since I started becoming an NBA fan when John Starks was dunking on Jordan. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know what? To your point, actually, this is the most amount of parody that we've seen since the '90s, uh, especially in the East. I think the Eastern Conference has been the weaker conference for this entire century. Yes. Uh, but, you know, the 90s was really the heyday of the Eastern Conference with the Bulls and the Knicks and whatnot. So I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's been a very, very long time since we've seen that, that type of parody. The interesting thing with that is that, like, it creates this pressure that makes teams either decide, yeah, we're going to stay put. We're not going to make any trades because of the fact that they think, okay, throw us in a playoff series with whoever, and we like whatever out- outcome we'll see. You know, because things are so close and the margin of error is so close, I feel like not a lot of teams will make moves. On the other hand, you could argue that because the margins are so close that there's going to be a couple teams that think, hey, maybe if we make that one move, we'll be able to, to be, you know, create some separation between us and the rest of the pack. I think the, the interesting aspect of this is, is that the playoffs will just come down to matchups. It, it, it used to be, and to a, to a certain level it still is, that talent will always win in a playoff series. But now matchup matters so much more, too. Which one is the better defensive team? Why is this team better to, to guard this specific roster? What kind of offense looks good in the playoffs versus what kind of offense looks good in the regular season? I think it, it's going to matter a lot more this season than any season we've seen. And, and truthfully, it's because we're in a golden age of basketball. There's more talent than ever. Yeah. And uh, that, that's what makes it so interesting. Yeah, the Orlando Magic. You put that talent uh, a decade ago, they'd be a lot scarier than what they are now. Uh, Ms. Fendier, if people want to find your work, where, where do they go again? Yeah, go ahead and, uh, and check us out on the SDPN YouTube channel. You can search us at SDPN Sports. That's uh, all around. You can find it on the website, the YouTube, the social medias and whatnot. And you can check me out on Twitter at just S. Always appreciate it. Thanks for joining the show. Appreciate it. Thank you.